conferences that we go to and, you know, the training sessions that, you know, I got to see from, you know, years of organizational learning. And I was just like, this hasn't changed. And it makes perfect sense because our, again, going back to how we believe we were supposed to learn, how that behavior was encoded in us, we transferred it from our elementary experiences to our high school experiences, to our university college experiences, to our life experiences, to the work experience. It did not change because it's what we knew. Mm. Hey, Lauren. Hey, Favor. <laughs> How's it going? <laughs> really good. Like, it's a beautiful day talking to you. We're going to nerd out a little bit. What could be better? Right? <laughs> Same here. I'm looking forward to this because, you know, we, we think about all this stuff. And, you know, when we met on Clubhouse, you know, uh, we just connected. And that's how it is with, you know, different people. It's all about how do you connect to them? Uh, do you have similar stories? Are you able to, you know, connect the dots? And sometimes it takes a while to really process that because a lot of people think a lot about a lot of things in a day yeah. <laughs> so, so we, we want to slow down the process <laughs> and let you you know let us know more about what you do and how this can really help them to sleep better at night oh man i'm still waiting for someone to give me all those answers <laughs> <laughs> so what uh you know in in the sort of traditional title sense. Um, I am a validated translator of neuroscience and cognitive neuroscience and behavioral science, and I am a scientific learning designer. So in a very simplified manner, what I do is I take all of the really hard, nerdy research stuff, and I've learned how to translate that into the practice of learning design, which is where I have, uh, oh gosh, 20, 20 plus years in a career as a learning designer. Mm. Tell me more about design because people think design is sketch pad, is paint, you know, like how we used to do it back then. Like, yeah. design is so different, but people don't know about the brand and the design. So, could we talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, design when it comes to the work that I do, you know, I think before I got into the sciences and before I understood um, my brain, the operational system behind all of everything that we do, you know, design to me was still very traditional as far as, you know, a learning landscape goes. You know, I think most of us were brought up in a very traditional educational setting. And what did our teachers do? Well, they planned out lessons. So when we talked about learning, um, it was how do we plan a day to day, uh, you know, half an hour to five minutes, you know, at a time. And then, you know, fast forward into a career that then I started off as an academic, as a teacher, and I started as well, you know, lesson planning like everybody else. What are your objectives? What do you want to get out of this? What do you know, those smart, those smart goals. Yeah. But once I started learning about the brain and about the operational system, that's when everything truly changed about the way that I looked at how I was doing things. And it was, okay, hold on a second when the brain is learning and, and more importantly when it's taking in and encoding a memory it's not about planning for that moment it's about planning for a whole series of moments that come in the future that all have to align yeah. and the right place at the right time it's like creating a symphony all mm. the right pieces have to be in the right place for it to sound beautiful and when it comes to learning and learning design we have to look at not like i said not just what we're doing in the present moment but how do we encode the memory so we can later transfer it for our future skills and use mm. and 
when people say <laughs> it's funny when people say common sense is not that common <laughs> it sounds like it's so cliche but it's the actual truth it's pretty amazing how you know even like with my own experiences right so i didn't know anything about neuroscience before i started this and i was very late in my career when when i got into this but the first question that just kept coming into my head over and over again was how did i not know this <laughs> like how did i not know this it seems very logical when you say well it makes sense to involve the brain in learning yeah and yet we haven't done it for mm. hundreds of years so yeah there's so much common sense there and yet somehow we just like completely overpassed it and i'm assuming it's just because we just didn't know enough Right. And as we start putting those logical pieces of the puzzle not only together but then we actually start using them then we're solidifying you know okay this is common sense this is super practical but i need to use it in order for me to transfer it from this is something that just sounds really cool to no this is something that can really change the way i do things and the way that i perceive the world in itself don't you think this also has a role to play with people taking a risk and having the fear of taking that risk without knowing what the result could be. Oh, always, you know, um, you know, it took me when it comes to fear. Now fear is obviously like a, a massive response in the brain, right? And it can really sort of the thing that people need to know about the emotional centers of the brain is that they're highly connected to our logical centers and the centers that allow us to problem solve and to focus and you know to to set our goals and to think rationally. And because those two pieces and those two areas of the brain are so highly connected, is when you sort of trigger that fear response. It's so strong that it can take the executive function offline, which mm. means we're no longer thinking logically or rationally right. or any of those things. So it's funny because I I was uh, was quoted by someone once, and it's actually a good quote of my own, saying. Um, we don't change, uh, I think it's like, we don't change because of uh, the, oh, sorry. We don't change because of, or we, we change because we face the fear itself or some, something to those results, yeah. right? And it is a real thing though, is there's that triggers based on our previous experiences, the memories, um, the way that our body has encoded that experience and how then we tangibly, physically react to things that are totally gonna hold us back, <laughs> you know? Unless we start to recognize what those things are and then as a fundamental human practice how do we manage them so that we can move forward acknowledging the fear but then redirecting that pathway so that we can you know move forward towards the successes that we want that's true and once you start to overcome that fear that's where the confidence comes in you know that's where you think about people say also godfidence too like it's it's a lot of that inner power being that you have to let out and most people are fearful because they couldn't do it when they were seven and now they're 27 and they're feeling like damn i wish i did it when i was 10 you know so there's always this regret coming back and forth and people keep playing that in their mind without focusing on f the actual goal which is what they intend to do and now that they're wiser they could do it better but they still don't do it yeah those um you know if if we look you know, in the brain itself. And if we were to look at the, the bits and the pieces and the things that put it all together, there's these specific pathways and, you know, chemicals that are released based on how we've encoded that response. Mm. And past a certain age, so 
up until the age of about 25 is the latest, right? Your brain is not fully developed yet. So that executive function isn't fully developed until at latest 25 years old. Now think about all the ridiculous and amazing <laughs> epic mistakes <laughs> you made yeah. when you were younger, you know? So we look at like the crazy things that we would have done when we were teenagers is like our brain and that part that doesn't think allow us to think logically just was not developed. Yet. Right. But we were still molding our experiences and we were still encoding memories of those experiences that would then later be triggered later on in our lives. They were, or we transferred them to other, other things that we were doing. Mm. So to literally look at those responses as these highways of networks that we've built in our own brains that are then releasing chemicals, which are your emotions. Emotions, um, I'm not sure, you know, I'll sort of distinguish this for the audience. So emotions are literally your neurotransmitters. They're chemical responses that blast off in your brain. Feelings, however, are how we tangibly experience, how we consciously experience those emotions. Mm. So that could be in your reactions, you know, through your physical reactions, through, um, you know, the, the internal narrative that's going on. But it's so crazy to think that those emotions are just like this chemical response. And then what we then trigger is that tangible conscious feeling. Those are how we've encoded the memories. So when we encounter that, or then when we transfer that to something else, like something new that we want to do, we're triggering that response over and over and over again. And it's really hard to then make it stop and say, I don't want to, I don't want to experience that anymore. Like, right. can, I, can I just change that? But these are physical pieces of your brain that you then need to redirect or move around. And that's, you know, through the beauty of neuroplasticity and synaptic plasticity, we're able to do that. We're able to change as fundamental humans, but it doesn't make the process easy. Mm. <laughs> like anyone who's tried to change something um, will notice or start a new habit will know the brain loves where it's at because its primary job is to keep us alive, right? And how does it keep us alive? It keeps us alive by, you know, basically keeping us safe and going, I'm good, I don't wanna do that, I don't really know that, that's new, that kind of scares me, I'm cool, we'll just kind of stay here. Right. So it's that, it's that moment of, I'm uncomfortable, this doesn't feel good, it's hard. <laughs> Those are the moments that we got the opportunity to start really changing things in there. And that's, you know, once we get through sort of those, you know, the, the challenge, if you will, of learning, because learning is hard, then we get to the victories. You know, I call it, you know, you'll see it, my, I've got my ideology of YAR, and YAR stands for you are really ready. And for me, it was like, you've got to get through the moments of GER to get to the moment of YAR. Mm. It's like going through the dirt to get that gem, that diamond, yeah. that, that resource, you know, and you, it's not going to be easy finding it. That's why when you actually get it, you stick with it because it's worth less. It's like, it's like, it's it's like, it's like when you think about the the pricelessness of the value and the worth of the value. When you start thinking about other things that are less than that worth, you start to actually wonder. Damn, I don't know why I'm leaving. Think about relationships, for example. That's why I use that word like as a double entendre because it's like. You think about it and someone in a relationship gets someone, you know, y'all are really good. And then you leave the good people and you're like, why? So where are you going? You know, so it's it's like 
that brain that gives you that comfortability but at the same time you don't really check yourself because of those past experiences really mm-hmm. hurt relationships because they're not they're not healed yeah yeah and it takes a lot of cognitive awareness and it takes a lot of emotional awareness and these are things that i think we're we're now starting to see that you know the value of teaching these fundamental human skills from a much younger age yeah and recognizing what are my thoughts in the moment that I'm having them and how does that affect the way that I am then feeling what's that doing to my body like what is that whole operational system doing and do I want to be in that place and if the answer is no then we can continue to sort of move forward but to have the cognitive awareness which none of us were trained how to do is challenging so you know now we're adults and we're like, ah, oh, damn, now you're telling me all this. <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of how it was for me as well. Like even that little piece I just said about the difference between emotions and feelings, that blew my mind. That blew my mind because, you know, I have been in therapy. They had put me on all sort of, um, you know, sort of drugs and, and stuff. And, and when I started understanding more about my own operational system, I was able to go back to, to my doctor and be like, hang on just a moment here. So this anger that comes out of me or this anxiety that I experience for days on end, you're telling me, well, hold on, I'm telling you now that this is just a freaking cocktail of chemicals that just exploded out of my brain like a like a dirty martini and I could potentially do something about that. <laughs> you can just clean it up and keep, keep it going. <laughs> keep- so I'm like, let me see if I can learn a little bit more about what's going on in my own brain so that I can sort of, and now I call it joining forces with it. We don't control anything that happens in the brain, but you harness and you can join forces with it. And that changed everything, not just about my professional world and the way that I design learning, but like fundamentally as a human, understanding more about, you know, my operational system itself. It's like, you know, it's like when you get the, the, the thing from Ikea to put together the bed that has like a gajillion pieces. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But at least you've got the operational manual. Exactly. We're not, we're not given operational manuals of our brain. So I love that part of my work as a translator is to help and to, to sort of create the pages to give to people and say, Hey, by the way, this piece does that, so watch out. <laughs> you know? yeah. Or this other piece does this, and it will help you do that. So there's so many things that we can learn and and sort of we can train our brains in various different states to help us when it comes to things like being cognitively exhausted, which I think everybody has been in this past year, um, you know, considering the year that we've had, or how do we emotionally regulate ourselves, or how do we just even monitor those things throughout our days to sort of make sure that we're not over-exhausting ourselves, that we're not reacting in a way that's gonna harm ourselves or anybody else. And, and you know, like I said, everything that I did when I started studying about the brain was to serve my profession and to serve learning design, and it has, and we're gonna, we'll, we'll talk about that more. But as a fundamental human, it so profoundly changed me. That's amazing. And not a lot of people go through that process to realize that. And it is a it is a major part of our well-being, which is the fundamental process of our learning. You know, that's why when you're you're younger, you you pick up things quicker because you're able to really adjust and adapt. Like I'm a self-taught drummer, you know, and you know, it makes sense now. And I'm like, that's probably what I wanted to do. I wanted to pick up the sticks and play some rhythm because that's what was running in my head. I got to let it out. And then I think about it in my lyrics and my beats and bars. It makes sense in my composition. Then it goes down to my copy with business. So it's like, 
you started with sticks and now you're ending up with a pen and and <laughs> so it's it's crazy so i i feel like if people just let go and they express themselves it's good but another side to it is that if you think about it this way those experiences some of them didn't get to fully experience that to that mm. potential so it's mm. kind of like half baked so they can't really process it because they don't know what to yeah. do about it it's so interesting because you say like you're a self-taught drummer so i was a self-taught pianist from a very 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 young age Nice. And the one thing that I wish somebody would have um, paid more attention to, whether that would have been my parents or my teachers at the time, was because I picked up um, by ear. So I was playing by ear and then they put me into lessons, but they didn't catch on and they tried. They put me into the writing of music and I did theory and all of that. But and, you know, I was classically trained, but they didn't catch on fast enough that when the chief sat down to give me a new piece of music and she would play it for me first and then she would just play it a couple of times. I was encoding the auditory mm. and I was like ignoring the reading of the notes. So I never really got to learn properly how to read sheet music and how to coordinate and it's something that I go back to now as an adult um, and I'm like well I, I could teach myself how to do that now more effectively but I missed out that opportunity back then because I guess they just I, they weren't paying attention <laughs> <laughs> or I was just so damn good <laughs> right it's <laughs> like I don't need this <laughs> <laughs> so you know five year old Lauren is sitting in kindergarten playing the street to you know Sesame Street to the piano to yeah. five year old little friends who later would go off and play Mozart and Beethoven, but never learned how to properly read the music. Mm. So, yeah, opportunity is lost and opportunity is gained. So. That's true. Look at the artists we have today. You know, the likes of Jay-Z, you know, the likes of Kendrick, you know, people who like, like really show that prowess, that, that skill. So I think about just those two people alone when you think about writing and mental and how you process and you're like okay this is how it translates and then even in your life it actually makes sense because you actually live a life that you control you can be able to determine your moves you can be able to demand your respect because you know when people see you they're like wow when he talks when she talks yeah you want to listen you know so and that also goes from the brain, the processing, what you go through. How do you experience those things? Do you have disaster management? Do you have a con um, contingency? You know, like, how do you make those plans work in your advantage to your favor? You know, so I think, like what you've said with learning, it's a process. And yes. if you think about the traditional way of learning and now, it's different, but we've not changed that process. And it's scary. No. No, we haven't. And it is scary, but there is so much opportunity. And, you know, what was what was crazy to me is that when I looked um, when I looked very historically back at education and I once gave this uh, I once gave a keynote and I it was actually quite funny, but I took them through. I think it was, you know, 60 years of a classroom Whoa. and they all looked the same. The clothes changed, so it was a fun little fashion forward of like, you know, fashion <laughs> oh my god! And like, this is the eighties. You can tell by the hair. <laughs> but like, <laughs> but the classroom didn't change. And it makes perfect at sense all. because and our again going back to sort of how we shot that we were supposed to learn, learn how that behavior was encoded in us. We transferred it from our elementary experiences to our high school experiences to our university college experiences to our life experiences to the work experience. It did not change because it's what we knew. Mm. 
So we know so much more now, so much more. And now it's just a matter of like, how do we have these conversations to say there are ways and, you know, whether it's through the use of what we know about um, psychology and that cognitive psychology has dominated learning for a very long time. Neuroscience is still very new as far as the science goes. So, and just to give people a little bit of sort of um, an idea of, of sort of that is when you think about psychology, you think like, oh God, that goes back like centuries and centuries. When we think about neuroscience, you know, an MRI, I'm not sure if you've, have you been in an MRI before? Have you ever been scanned for anything? Mm, a couple you know what of, it looks like? That big sort of tube, yeah, the big tube, tube machine. Yeah, yeah, I've seen it. Seen that. on Grey's Anatomy or yeah. You see people uh -huh. going into a scanner. Those scanners were only first built in 1977. Oh. And when you see, and anyone who's listening, if you Google first MRI and the doctors was Dr. Damadian, Google first MRI, Dr. Damadian, and it looks like something that like Frankenstein made. Oh my goodness. <laughs> like this huge, this huge thing that they made. And wow. his grad student in some of these photos, who I suppose was the man who got to be the first one to try this thing out, looks like he's wearing like an air conditioning unit around his chest. Oh my <laughs> and you're goodness. Like, oh Lord, like this is how this all started. So the science is still really new. And when those machines, you know, they have EEGs, so that means they could see like the, the brain waves through electricity. Yeah. But when those machines in the late 70s and then into the 80s became functional, then they could see inside and that changed everything. So mm. science is still really, really new. It's a young science and mm. there's so much to learn because, you know, there is nothing more complex on this planet than our own three pounds of meatloaves that we carry in our heads. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing more complex than our brains. So yeah, we're, we're still, we're still uncovering so many things when it comes to, you know, how do we learn? How do we encode memories? Um, where are the habit centers? How, and then how to all of these bits and pieces, because nothing works on its own in there. Yeah. How do all of them sort of manipulate and come together to allow us to do and think and, and act and move the way that we do. So when it comes to learning, yeah, we got a long way to go. Um, and we've got so much that we can start doing right now to start enhancing the way that we learn as fundamental humans. Um, because when you understand the process of how to learn more effectively in all of the tools in the treasure chest that you've got at your fingertips to choose from, yeah, your experience when you approach learning becomes incredibly different. And especially when you know a little bit about your brain, and how it's kind of taking things in, you can really make it a more enjoyable experience. It's still gonna be hard because it has to be, but yeah, it's gonna be much more enjoyable when you've got more to pull from. How does this work when it's left brain, right brain? Cause I'm left-handed, you know, and I know about creative and all that good stuff. And then there's a logical piece and then there's a the learning piece. Yeah. How does that play a role when it comes to really like learning and taking in that maximum potential of time? I love this question. So I, I love them when I'm doing like a, at a conference or just hanging out with people. And, and I like to like, you know, let's say there's a thousand people in the room. I'm like, hey, let me see my lefties. I'm like, where, where are like my, you know, my artsy or my righties, like my artsy fartsies. And they all stand up. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> so then that leaves the rest of my, you know, logic science scene. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, there's no such thing. <laughs> <laughs> 
There is no such thing as left-sided, right-sided dominance. Um, they've done multiple studies, one prominent out of, the, I think it was the University of Utah years ago, mm -hmm. and they scanned like 2,500 different uh, different brains, and they just determined there's no such thing as sideness. Wow. Yeah. That so, just blew my mind because it's a debate everywhere, and I'm like, why? Like, I, I don't get it. Like, we're the same people, you know, but... I don't know. There is, yeah, there's no, there, the sideness thing that sort of, that follows, falls into like some of the neuromyths and the neurobabble. So like, you know, that's one of the neuro, a big neuromyth. Um, learning styles and their big um, neuromyth. Um, we only use 10% of our brains. That's just absolute insanity. <laughs> Can you imagine that? <laughs> But now it's interesting because, you know, some of these myths were perpetuated from science itself, but it was from people who didn't understand what the science was saying. And so it just mm. kind of got rolled with. So some of the, yeah, so it's interesting. So, you know, there's what I learned very early when I started learning about the brain neuroscience and when I started um, sort of integrating myself with the researchers and the scientists themselves. Um, and this to the day still amazes me is I would go to the, the hospital, the teaching hospital, I got to attend lectures and I speak was really, really shy because I'm thinking, oh my God, these people, like they're in the labs, they touch the brains. And I'm like, I don't have a PhD. I'm, I've got my, you know, I got my credentials. I did my certificates, but I'm nowhere near these people. And when I went up to them and I introduced myself and said, hi, I'm Lauren. I'm like, you know, I'm a translator and this is what I do. And they would look at me and go, oh my God, we need you. And I'm like, whoa, mm -hmm. you guys are legends to me. I'm like, tell me more. <laughs> and there's just not enough people who can translate the science because it takes a lot of work, a lot of, a lot of work to translate stuff that's so complex, but that these people spend decades of their lives researching and studying for our benefit but it doesn't get out there that's in a way that we can practically deep. use it that's deep that you mentioned that because now i'm thinking about seo and that's what people are talking about but when you speak you're like damn i don't understand what he's saying and yeah. and i definitely understand what you mean when you translate that into actual like normal natural process learning that you really want to help someone use at least a good 10% of, of their, their their brain and their time to to get this one point and drive that point across. But now when it comes to like courses, digital courses, I think I did a research back then about e-learning, how by 2026, we're talking about trillions, you know, with e-learning and it's growing and people don't see that. And now everybody's a coach. Everybody's an expert. <laughs> everybody oh, is, is making gosh. music. Everybody. <laughs> It's like this. Is, I love that you said that because it's like you know, I, I'm, I'm gonna date. I might date myself, but I don't care. But it was like in the, I guess it was like the early, the late, the mid mid 90s when everyone decided that they were a DJ. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a DJ, and then in the 2000s, it was like everybody's a speaker. Yeah, I'm a speaker, and now like now it's like everyone's a coach. <laughs> so what does that mean? Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing that you mentioned that because now it looks like okay. Who do we follow? Do we look at your educational experiences? Do we look at your clients' experiences? Do we look at your characteristics? Like, what do we follow so that you don't lead us astray because they're trying to learn from you? Results would be nice. <laughs> so, and you know, when, uh, so let's circle back to learning, right? So um, anyone who's listening who is, is you know, trying to 
create a course or as a content developer, you know, it's not an easy feat to design learning so that someone can actually learn it, encode it as a memory, and then transfer it into their real life, like to really be effective. And most people, again, because of our behaviors and the way that we were traditionally taught, we believe that if we just take everything that we know, we shove it into some videos and add some cool animations and some audio, and here's a workbook and do this sheet. Good. Yeah, those people will learn. I'm good, bring me the monies, right? <laughs> but there's gonna be a difference between those people who are solely in it to create wealth for themselves. Yeah. And we, that's where, you know, the ed tech business is, you're right. It's projected to be in the trillions, worth trillions and trillions of dollars. But then there's also going to be a camp of people like myself and those who I work with, who we have valuable skills and knowledge and experience that will help somebody grow. And when they put it in the right platform, and then when they put it and they design it in such a way that the person can really learn it and transfer it and not just get to the end of the course or get to the end of the module and go, what did I do again? <laughs> mm, right. Or they don't have to go back and say, what was that that I was supposed to remember? At? Okay, wait, let me rewind that. You mm -hmm. know, and having to keep go back. Well, then you're not serving the true purpose of the learning experience. And remember, learning is the, the avenue to memory. So the goal is learning, yes, but the real goal is a memory that then we can, we can take out and we can use it and we can transfer it when we need it. So how do we create learning that creates the memories that people will then have to use later on? That's mm. an important aspect in the work that I do. And then take that a step further, is how do we respect the operational system? How do we respect the brain and work with it That we're not putting things that are unnecessary and you know using energy in the systems so that it can focus how do we even help somebody focus how do we guide attention we're learning so that someone can really focus in on what you need them to focus in on to learn to, to create that memory yeah and that's when we get to into the science right that's when we understand you know and i'm not going to you know i won't get too scientific but you know when even a, a simple fact um, there are multiple networks for attention in the brain. There's not one, there's multiple, and they each do different things. There's one network that is um, to orient you towards something. There's another network that's for you uh, to alert you towards things. There's another network that goes to the executive function. These are all different networks that we can use in order to guide someone's focus. But we have to know how to use them effectively, and that's when it comes into design. So when you know these things, when you know a little bit about the operational system, then I can look at design and go, okay, I want to prime this person's brain right from the very beginning so that the, when, when they see this, when they are alerted to this one thing, they know what's coming next. Yeah. And in doing that and in spacing it out and in repeating it, I'm creating the pathway, but I'm making it stronger. And that's what we really need to do. We have to create the pathway, but then we have to strengthen the pathway to memory. Because if not, it's like a game of snakes and ladders, right? You go yeah. up, you've got the memory, and then you go down because you haven't encoded it properly. You're all the right. way back to the beginning again. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. So it's really the strengthening part that makes that memory like a masterpiece. Yeah, yeah, it's that. So in with memory, you've got sort of a, a, simple, a simplified three-step process, right? It's you have to encode it, 
you have to store it and then you have to retrieve it. And the encoding process is when we're doing that focus learning. That's kind of like when we're using, you know, we're really using our focused attention to learn something merged. In the storage process, we're now having to get into that rehearsal and that practice, which is incredibly important. So we're taking things from your working memory, which is, you know, that focused attention and working memory is incredibly limited. So when you are designing content and when you are designing a course, you have to be aware that the brain can only take in so much at one time. Yeah. So you really have to focus in on what it is that you want it to take in. And the goal here then is to get to retrieval is can we get to a stage where I can then I've, I've created the memory and I can retrieve it and transfer it in the appropriate way. Mm, that's the difference because when you retrieve it that means you can diversify it because you have memory of you pretty much have proof of concept well yeah and that's that's just you know for me that's what i'm looking for from the people that i work with and that i teach right is and this is where the the science of design is so highly valuable because along the way like i said earlier i'm not going to wait for somebody to finish a course i'm not going to wait for them to finish a workshop to figure out whether or not they've taken in and they can understand part of what i've told them i'm going to be measuring that along the way so that it's helping them and it's helping me it's helping them because they're able to see those that we call them the metacognitive moments where they're able to go oh i thought i knew that i didn't know that but i can design that experience in so you realize that you might have thought you knew something but that was just your brain creating a false memory of the experience. Right. Now, as a learner, you want to have those because the last thing you want is to think that you've learned something and then to transfer it ineffectively when you have to. Mm-hmm. That's when mistakes are made. So as a designer of learning, I'm going to design that in for my own purposes so I can measure how effective is the way that I've designed working. It's also going to show my learners, where are you in your process? And right. you can either skip this or you know you need to revisit it. And sometimes people skip it thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to, I don't need this. <laughs> right. And then I'm the designer who will go in and maybe two modules or two things later, I'll show them how I, I will prove to them in a, in a moment through an activity or through a question or through an experience. You thought you knew, but you didn't know. Do you think it's a thrill of adventure for them to just, because I'm like, here's the road, get this okay you've heard me speak for an hour but you still doubt the fact that what i'm telling you is the way to go and you still go and look for another way to figure it out like it makes no sense to me sometimes i'm like is that how the brain works yes remember that whole thing it's like i know this i've got this This makes me feel comfortable this is the way i feel comfortable doing it thank you (laughs) (laughs) but it's the maybe i don't know this i don't know this is making me feel uncomfortable Okay, I want to. I, I want to see why I'm feeling uncomfortable. Mm. So it's can you have those moments of of sort of appreciating that? And I do when I make a mistake or when I do like, and I do a lot. I do like I'm I'm the queen of my own experimentations. But when I recognize my own moments of complete and utter discomfort, I run towards them. Like I absolutely run toward them because I want to, I want to know what that is because that to me is a signal. My body's not lying. It's like the best lie detector I've possibly got, but it's sending me that signal of like, girl, (laughs) like girl, (laughs) (laughs) stop us. Like we know, we know that that's not true. Or I know that I don't really understand that. So Mm -hmm. be okay with that because that's learning. 
that's deep. It, it makes total sense because now you focus on yourself and then yourself starts to figure out things that you didn't know. That's why that exploration, that curiosity, that whole, oh, you know, that dopamine effect, like, oh, I know that. Okay, I can do this now. And then you feel better about it because now you're actually challenging yourself to yes. to resist that tension. Yes, because, you know, we can design learning. We can design content. We can design anything, sales pitches, um, you know, anything, branding. We can design it for those those the, the reward centers we can design it just to feel good you know we can set dopamine off we can hit up the serotonin yeah we're having a great chemical of goodness up there yeah but that's not enough to transfer into a full encoding memory experience right. so i think you've really got to be really conscientious of that and that's why i always err on the side of caution with people who want to gamify things too quickly right i'm like yeah it's fun but <laughs> Did you remember, like, you know, what you wanted to transfer? No? Okay, right? Like, hey, I am I play Nintendo like everybody else. It felt really good when I saved that princess. <laughs> <laughs> right. But can I take you through what the skills that I learned from playing Mario? No. <laughs> like, Not possible. <laughs> I know that I learned. I learned, you know, video games are great because they do give you logic and strategy and all those things like i learned after falling through that you know that tunnel one too many times don't go down that tunnel there's there's like one of those eating plants waiting for you <laughs> <You're right. laughs> exactly <laughs> but yeah i don't uh you know it, it's not that true encoding experience that we want so you really got to sort of if you really want someone to learn if you really want them to remember something and then transfer it you got to be very cautious that you're just not giving them a big shot of reward that makes them feel as if they've accomplished yeah. it. Yeah. You really, really got to have to be able to transfer it. That's true. I'm, I'm thinking this now for course creators who actually are serious about what they're doing because all of them are serious. And I'm thinking the way they're processing, the way they learn, because some people buy courses from others to see what they're doing because you can't really know what a course is like until you're in one or you make one. So how is what's the best process and this is for the benefit of the person learning this has nothing to do with the creator because you're at the mercy of these people that need this information because they are paying you to do something for them so the way they're going to learn is highly dependent on how you structure your content so how can they do that without thinking or overwhelming them as well i think the very first thing to remember is it's not about you it's never about us and what we want to share with people. It's what they need to learn from us. And that just continually reminding yourselves that is that, yeah, we get excited about our own content. We get excited about all the things that we know. We want to share those things. And some of those things are super awesome and super cool, but they have no value to the person who needs to transfer them. Mm. So you've constantly got to check in with yourself, right? So, you know, when you look at and I, I use this analogy a lot on podcasts and interviews, but it, it sort of holds true, is that when you look at your content, right, and there's usually way, way too much of it as far as like, you know, what is the skill, what is the ability, what is the behavior, what's the knowledge that you want someone to transfer? And if it's not in that piece of content, then it's just content that's not needed necessarily. So if you look at it like a tower of blocks, I use this analogy a lot, and you put your content into blocks and you start stacking up the tower, stacking up the tower, can you start removing blocks? Does the tower still stay up? That means the learning is stable. 
right? You can, you can take things away that don't necessarily help with the transfer of the skill, the behavior, the knowledge that you want someone to have. Mm. When the tower starts falling over, okay, removing content, then those are probably things that are just really nice to know. And it takes a lot of, as the course creator, it takes a lot of sort of intention and strategy to continually look back at your materials. And this is something that I struggle with as well, because you have to continually be asking yourself those questions. Is, is this absolutely necessary to be encoded as a memory? Is it worth the energy that this person's brain is going to have to use to process this? Mm. You know, the, the brain is very, very expensive and the currency is energy. And when you used up that energy too quickly in your courses, it's done. Learning can't happen. It's exhausted. That just makes a lot of sense because now some people do courses and they're literally on video and they're just talking and some people would love that because they want to see their best, you know, their favorite person talking, you know, at, at the same time, somebody else wants to just have that white blank keynote, <laughs> you know, yeah. with simple text, you know, make sure that it's audible and you get your point across and then some other people just want pictures and they just want you to talk to them so when you think about visual learning and auditory learning what's the best practice for people who want to just set it off without thinking too far you know i think it's the, the best advice i can give is that so we all we all learn differently right like we've got the same pieces in our brains and they all operate and they do things you know and we can we can work with those systems but at the end of the day people are still going to do what they want to do, but how do we make it easier, right? So how do we sort of, you know, protect the resource, if you will? So, you know, any anybody who's seen any one of my slide decks, they're very simplified, incredibly simplified, because I'm very aware of how much the brain is going to process if I put too much in there. And the same goes for your auditory and same goes for your, you know, any of your visual resources. So, you know, if you think that, even in this conversation that we're having, you know, some people are just going to be listening to this on the podcast. They're just going to be listening to our tones, right? There's probably things going on around them. Are they right. focused on what we're talking about? Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> that, you know, that's one thing. Um, when it comes to the visuals, like what is my brain processing? Well, I'm looking at you on my screen. So that's one part of my brain that's encoding, you know, the vision, the visual aspects of looking at you. I'm watching the, mo the motion of your head nod at me. I'm looking yeah. at the colors. It's processing colors. That's just three things I've listed that only one part of our brain is doing. Hmm. Now there's another part that's going to be encoding the audibles, right? It's going to be, there's going to be another part that's listening to the language, it's understanding the words, it's putting it together in sentences. We're now up to what, six, seven things it's doing right now in this moment and it's scanning the environment around me. Exactly. So when you're designing, when you're designing learning, you really want to think about the energy it's going to be taking. So the more things you put in, the harder the brain has to work. So if you've got visuals going on, if you've got you know, music in the background, you're like, hey, look at this text. You're speaking on top of it. It's like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Slow down. Too much. Too much. Too much. You know, I used to use this visual. I'm totally going to date myself. Um, but uh, Street Fighter. Yeah. Like the old arcade game, uh -huh. Street Fighter. You've got like one person on the other side and I picture the brain on the other. Right? Yeah. Like it's going to KO. Your power bar is going down. <laughs> it's like visual, auditory, colors, text. You know, boom, KO'd. Right. So, you know, like, 
there's a good visual for everyone. It is. But managing, <laughs> just kind of thinking about the resource itself, right? Yeah. And just think of bring it back to you. You know how tiring it is just to look at something and listen to something and like try to keep up with all of that. But your resource is very limited. That working memory, that sweet spot where you've got the opportunity to start transferring it into long term. You really got to protect that. And the only way to protect the working memory is to make sure you're not exhausting it by putting too much in at once. It makes so much sense. Even with music, if you start adding too many beats and bars and claps and hats, you're going to start messing up with the experience of the ear. And too much noise is bad noise. And someone's just going to shut down. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, right? It's like it's like when, when you've got one bongo too many at the party. Like, like stop it. <laughs> exactly. It's terrible. You don't want to be there because you just be feeling like, man, I need somebody needs to get some medicine because your head's gonna like, explode. All you hear is the bongo. <laughs> I don't hear anything else anymore. It's just bongo. Exactly. It's the same with your courses, right? Like, yeah. What a great analogy to like together. What's the bongo? <laughs> <laughs> is that what people should be focused on? No. Okay. Exactly. Redirect that. <laughs> Exactly. That's I love the way you put it out because it just makes total sense. You know, from Street Fighter to Bongo, you'd be like, "Yeah, man, that's what they're enjoying now." Because they don't want to hear too much. Like when it's so real serious, people are like, "Man, I need some comedy in my life because it's about color. It's about how do you design and help that person process it." So I think going forward, what would you tell a course creator or someone who has a skill that wants to create a course? and doesn't know how to put it together because of all this moving parts. Call me. I'll help you. <laughs> First of uh, all. <laughs> yeah, no. I would say, you know, I can give them the same the same process that I would go through, which is, you know, I will do a massive content dump. You know, just get it all out. And you'll come up with like tons and tons and tons of stuff that you think is important. And you want to look at that map and be like, okay, I think this is all really cool and really important. Is this, and I'll go through that list, like, is it a transferable skill that my people need? No, it's not, okay, off to the side it goes. Maybe it's like just a little bit of content that I can use as a supplementary read or a video, whatever it is, and I just keep going through. And like, is this something that they can use and is it something that they can transfer? Mm. Yes or no? Because if it's a no, then I'm taking it out because it's gonna, like, again, it's valuable energy that I don't need to be wasting in that person's brain. Yeah. And I just keep doing that. I keep going through that process. Now, that's the first step. Once it comes to designing the actual, like, you know, what are you going to do first and what's going to come next and how does this all have to be put together in that beautiful symphony? It's, it's like any other profession in the world. I'm not a doctor because I don't understand how to, you know, I'm not a surgeon. I don't know how to cut into people. I'm not going to, I don't have those skills. Learning design is a skill. And it's something that I've personally practiced for over 20 years now. It's something that we learn to do and we, we just learn to do it really, really well. And it takes strategy and it takes intention. Now add in science and it's just like, it's it's what I call my happy madness. It drives me insane. Drive, like even my own creations, they drive me absolutely crazy because it takes the diligence to not just look at what I'm doing in module one, but how does that affect what I'm doing in module four? Yeah. How do I reinforce and keep building upon that knowledge so that I know that I'm helping that person encode this as a transferable skill or behavior or knowledge? Mm. That's where it really becomes challenging. 
but I'd say people out there are doing the absolute best that they can for the most part, but those who really, really, really want to get intentional about the way that they're designing to truly help someone learn, to, to help them remember something, you know, reach out to an instructional designer forget at least a little bit of the fundamentals of how to design properly. Um, because otherwise, you probably, you know, I've seen tons of courses out there that are just, they're dope. Like they're just cool and they're fun. And I liked it. And I, I remember certain parts of them. Yeah. But at the end of it, I didn't get anything out of it that I can say, oh yeah, I use that right now. This is how I can practically use this. This is how I actually use it in my professional life. I don't get much of that from the courses that are out there. But they were cool and they were engaging. And I remember that quiz that was you know, <laughs> <laughs> that I failed. And then right. I doing over and over and over again because you let me do that. Right. <laughs> You're just dripping <laughs> them so back. Get, yeah, so I can get that completion bar and be like, yeah, complete. Check mark. Next module. <laughs> <laughs> It's so strategic, and and when you think about it now, in my mind, I'm like, nah, I can't keep doing that. It's not, it's not helping because I wouldn't be in that course, I wouldn't be in that class, and I wouldn't take notes because I wouldn't be focusing on the notes. I'll be focusing on how long is this class gonna <laughs> go long for. So you, you start thinking about the other things that your brain is now processing, which is taking you away from the actual being there. So that's why, yeah. that's why I even think about it now with courses, and this is something I. A lot of people don't know, but because this is an episode, in case you're hearing this, then you're listening. <laughs> because my goal is for the Pinterest and SEO Marketing Club on Clubhouse, I already have a course out, but I want to have a bundle where I'm going to have two different courses, one for Pinterest, one for SEO, but they're going to be so audio-based that you can sleep and listen to it while you, you know, you can literally retain the brain. And then when you really want to make a move, we can now talk about it and have an actual visual conversation about it. So I want to see how that goes differently from the, the keynotes and, you know, the presentations, which I love. And I may do a few of them just to give them that fundamental, but like for them to understand and transfer that information into their mind, that could work because things are changing and you have to keep doing something new. So I, I'm wondering if someone, if you like with your experience, would you listen to something like that and be like, Hmm, maybe cause people listen to eBooks, but would that be something that you would pay attention to? You know, I think it's, again, I look at, at, at any of the, the strategies and any of the methodologies, I'm looking at the functionality of how it's being used, you know, to transfer. So, if it's, if it's an auditory thing, so, and I'm sure like with other people, I listen to podcasts. Now I'm a huge nerd. So like I just listen to like nerdy podcasts. Now when I'm listening to them though, I can't help again, professional, you know, my professional bias here is when I'm listening, I'm getting ready to learn at the same time. So I'm giving myself permission. I've got a notebook beside me to press pause. And I'm that annoying person who's like, pause, rewind, pause, rewind. I'm like a kid from the 80s with a tape cassette, you know, pause, <laughs> rewind, rewind. Because <laughs> you know? I want to, I don't want it to go into my brain and my brain go, oh, but I really wanted to know more about that, right? So right. we've got these opportunities to, to sort of give learners permission as well. So, the, you know, for, I'll give you a couple of examples. So first of all, when I do a keynote, when I do a workshop, when I do anything, one of the things that anybody who knows who have seen me do anything will, will hear me say is sit back, relax, enjoy. You're going to learn nothing. You're going to learn absolutely nothing from me in this moment. 
So just sit back, relax, and enjoy. That's the first thing I tell them. The encoding process of memory does not happen that fast. Wait, wait, hold on. If you say say, sit back, relax, and enjoy in a course or in a keynote, does that do something fundamentally to them to start paying attention or does that kind of veer them away? No, I think it gives people permission just to understand that it's not the process of, of memory. Ah. You know, it just, it just, it's not how it works, right? And, you know, I think for every keynote, especially the larger organizational ones that I give, you know, it's the, you want people to learn faster than they actually can. Yeah. It doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. You, you send people off to conferences, you send them for eight hours worth of training, and you want them to transfer it the next day, but it does not work like that. Memory consolidates while we're sleeping. So how do you expect someone to, you know, pick something up within that time. So I give my audiences permission. I'm like, nah, I'm like, relax. I want you to enjoy this ride and I want you to be curious. And the other permission that I give them is to ignore me. Mm. When your brain hears something that I say and it goes, oh my God, it's kind of like this or, ooh, I kind of want to know that for later. Ignore me because you're not going to get that moment with your brain back. When your mind goes, ooh, 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 that's working memory. And if you let that moment go, it's like those moments you're like, oh, damn, what was that again? Right, <laughs> like, like the train, choo-choo. Like, oh, what was that? <laughs> and you may, you may get that back, Yeah. but the chances are small that if you just give yourself permission, so similar with like the auditory, what you're asking about with these podcasts and with just listening, is if you give someone the opportunity and you say, hey, by the way, listen to this maybe passively that first time, right? But if you really want to learn from this, get your notebook ready. And the second that I say something, your brain goes, ooh, yeah, this is what I need. Stop and chase that curiosity. Because the other thing people need to know, when you're learning and you have a base of something in your brain, it's called a schema. And the schema is a representation of knowledge in your brain, groups of knowledge. So maybe it's starting to build on that network of knowledge and it's starting to make that connection. And we want to capture those in the moments that it's happening. If we let that go, then you're just relying on your memory to go like, ah, oh, damn it, what did, what did Favor say again? What was that thing? Mm, right? Yeah. Oh man, what, wait, what time was that at? Like every time I hear something in a podcast, if I just want to keep listening to it, I'll take a screenshot of time so I can go back and revisit that one thing. Right. I'll just keep time marking. And that is studying, my friends. That is learning. That is going back and rehearsing and, you know, really encoding that. Otherwise, it's passive learning. It might be short term. You might be able to use something for the very short term. You want that in your brain for the long term. You've got you to work for it. You've got to do the practice. Mm. And does writing something, this is the last thing that I would, I would ask. Does writing and typing, are those two different things? When it comes to memory and, and, you know, recovery. Yeah. So it is only because if you think about the process, which, okay. So which can you do faster? Type or write? Some of those two figure typers. Right. Now for me, like, uh oh, now for me, I think I I can even, I type really fast. I think because I also went through the typing classes and everything back then. So I can literally say a sentence in half a, like in, I can literally finish a sentence in three seconds and and finish the whole sentence on a typing. But when I'm writing, I can do the same thing, but I'm cautious of, I don't want to make a mistake. But at the same time, when you're spreading out those ideas, it feels better because it's actually coming out on a pen. 
you know, because yeah. you're actually letting those emotions out. But I don't know what it does psychologically. I mean, it's it slows depending on how fast you can do either. It, obviously, it slows down the process itself. Mm-hmm. Um, you're now it's a different type of motor activity. You know, it's a different type, different part of the brain that's being activated when you're typing versus when you're writing. And for me. I, I, I sometimes I like writing, right? Like I, I was of the generation where they still made us, you know, learn how to handwrite and do all that stuff. Yeah. Um, but then obviously, when I learned how to type faster, it was better because I was like, oh man, I just my thoughts come so fast that to be able to write them quickly it was a really <laughs> that was really really <laughs> beneficial. Yeah. When I'm when I'm studying for myself though, um, and when I'm learning myself, I write. Mm. I take the time. And I have very specific techniques that I use as far as, you know, like I said, capturing those things that I want to learn, rereading, creating the notes, creating visual for myself. I want, when I really want to learn something, I'm going to take my time and set myself up to do it the best way I know how. Yeah. So that, go, that goes into the arsenal of, um, you know, all of the things that I've got in my, in my treasure chest and to pull out and say, this is how I'm going to note take. This is how I'm going to absorb my auditory learning. This is what I'm going to do when I'm looking at a visual. I'm fortunate. I've studied for years on how to do this, um, but you guys are fortunate because now you don't have to read all the white papers that I did. <laughs> 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 so it's like, yay. <laughs> yay! You don't have to do all the really, really hard work that I had to do <laughs> for you. <laughs> right, literally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh man, this is great. I'm so glad you're able to be here today and just help us really break down, sit down, take a pen, relax, you know, sit back and just focus on what do you really want to do so that the right person comes through and can tell the next person so that you can still do what you love doing best, you know? Yeah, you know, honor and respect. I mean, I love, I love the experiences and the things that other humans can do. They fascinate me, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, from, from looking at a waiter or a waitress carry six plates at a time, which I look, I'm like, wow, <laughs> I can't do that. I could learn. I know I could train myself to do it. <laughs> right. like, I really, I've got mad respect for like <laughs> the training your brain had to do in order to do that or the artist or the work that you do favorite. Like it's just phenomenal. But if we really want other people to learn that from us, we have to set it up in a way that they can. Yeah. Damn. That's a, that's a bar. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much thank you so much if there's any way they can reach out to you what are the options they have um so you can uh, hit me up on linkedin on instagram uh learningpirate.com is the website that is like in desperate need of an overhaul so if any any of my uh, any of my designers out there who want to get in touch with me for that uh, yeah, that's how you can get in touch with me. For my course creators out there, um, there is a limited time offer to work with me um, to audit your your courses or portions of your, your courses um, for two hours with me, which is like at a hella reduced rate just because I just want people putting up better content. Um, so those of you who really, really, really do want to share your value and your knowledge and your skills, um, you know, maybe for another month I'll do this just because of my capacity. But <laughs> yeah, there's an uh, there's an audit offer up there for, for a bunch of people as well. Amazing, amazing. You guys better catch it before it's gone. You'll be like, oh no, the train's gone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. My cognitive my cognitive limits are my resources are, are there too. But yeah, learningpirate.com or I'm on Clubhouse as you know. I'm 
I just I love chatting with the people and, and whatever I can share to help, especially during these times. I'm always here. Awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you, Lauren. Yar. 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 That's how we're going to end it. <laughs> yeah, you are really ready. Go get it. Thank you. Enjoy yourself and have a wonderful week. Thank you. You as well. Yeah.